Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. Now, Steve, I sense a little bit of excitement from you this evening. It's true, Russell. Our guest is someone we've hoped for a long time that we'll get the chance to talk to, and we're finally getting that opportunity today. Absolutely. Now, if you are somebody who loves books, you've come to the right place because we're joined tonight by a wonderful author and illustrator. This man has given us many gifts loved by educators, children and families across the world. He is the author of so many fantastic books, and I hope we'll get to mention a whole bunch of them tonight. It's Tom Percival. Thank you for joining us, Tom. Not at all. Thanks for having me. So, Tom, we are made up to have your company tonight, and I know we're going to have a chat about all sorts, including a couple of your most recent books. But let's start off by finding out a little bit more about you as a person. Can you tell us about your path into this career and what it is that inspires you to write? Are we going for quite a potted answer here or, or a rambly answer? I love a rambly answer. All right. Okay. so I trained as a graphic designer. Um, originally, and I so I went I went to art college and I did graphic design and I had decided that this is what I wanted to do because I wanted to work in advertising um, because I wanted to be really rich. Uh, this was my this was my plan, and so I got a job at a um, well actually I didn't get a job straight away I couldn't get a job anywhere and I had to work in a sawmill and I had to do lots of different jobs like that that weren't being a really rich graphic designer, a uh, really rich advertising guy. And then I eventually got a job in London and I moved to London and then it just, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted it to be and I didn't really enjoy the work and it didn't feel creatively fulfilling. And then I remember being in this one meeting uh, and yeah, like we had to do all sorts, you, you didn't get a say about the projects you worked on. So some things, you know, you'd have to work on gambling websites or whatever it was, it would just be whatever project you were given. Yeah, and I remember in the one meeting, I was just saying, oh, I just don't really feel good about what we're doing here. And then uh, one of the execs came up to me and went, have you ever considered you might be working in the wrong industry? And I was like, oh, oh my God, you're completely right. I am totally working in the wrong industry. Um, and so I hands in my notice and started pulling together an illustration portfolio, which is what kind of when I was a kid, that's what I had done. I just drew and drew and drew. And I you know, started off when I was really young, drawing pictures of He-Man and then moved on to Transformers. And then it was, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog and Mario and all this sort of thing. Um, yeah, and so I had loved drawing, but I had just never quite seen, I don't know why I'd never, I think it was because I went to a small school in you know, the boardroom mid Wales. There wasn't, no one was saying you could be an illustrator. I was just like, it wasn't really something that I thought you could do really. And yeah, and I just fell into the graphic design thing. But then I was like, yeah, actually, illustration and making stories, that's what, you know, that's what means a lot to me. So I built my portfolio, but at the same time, I was working part-time as a graphic designer and I worked for HarperCollins um, two days a week doing marketing work, so promoting other people's books across all ages, not, not children's, um, you know, working for the fiction team, non-fiction, historical fiction, whatever. And because I was in the office, you just kind of overhear conversations. And one day there was a conversation about a book about a fireball throwing magical skeleton detective. And they were struggling to get an illustrator for these books. And I used to really love 2000 AD and kind of action artwork like that. And I was just like at the point 
at that point I was like, oh yeah, you know, I think I could do a really good job on this. And so I said, let me have a crack at it. If the author likes it, we'll go ahead with it. If they don't, then it doesn't matter. You don't need to pay me. It's fine. Um, I sent it over and the author, it was um, Scumduggery Pleasant and the author, Derek Landy, uh, really loved the artwork. And um, yeah, and then that became the first book in the series. And then that series did phenomenally well. And then because that had done so well, people suddenly were like, oh, wait, like, who's the illustrator? And, you know, what other ideas might, might they have? And I went, I'm the illustrator and I've got loads of ideas. So basically it was a mix of, yeah, it was kind of like right place, right time and kind of just like years of having drawn. But I hadn't like really ever, it wasn't like I had like an ambition to set out to, to do this. But then as it started happening, I was really like, this is actually exactly what I want to do. I just hadn't kind of realised it before. That's awesome. What a fantastic and, answer. Yeah, and I was just going to say, Steve, talking of that book series, in my head, I can't separate the artwork from the books. Mm. They, they really come together. The second you mentioned that series, yeah. the, the imagery came to my head. So that's a, that's a really great sign of good artwork, isn't it? Yeah, it was just such a such a great opportunity, and for the you know, I had done I had done other book I had done other illustration work before, but it was mainly kind of um, you know stuff for ed- educational books, so lots of kind of pictures for maths books and you know exercise books and things like that. So yeah, a lot of people do that when they start out in illustration. You get these roles, kind of yeah, kind of doing that sort of work, which yeah, which you you do for for, for money. Mm, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Now, Tom, your books are just such a pleasure to read. But actually, the rare gift is that as a teacher, when you can find books that are so they can be used so widely across the primary ages within our curriculum, and uh, they can be used for assemblies and PSHE lessons as well. Is that something you're aware of when you're writing the books? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to create. I want to create books that, like, careful how I phrase this. So I want to make books that that have a have a kind of a, a point to them because I've made I've made books in the past which were like just purely fun stories and that there is obviously there's a huge place for that it's massively important that children have escapism fun humor excitement all of these things but I just felt that for me it just became something important to me to feel that I had done something I could really believe and feel that like it was that it was a necessary thing to make rather than it just being like oh here's a book I'll just like come up with an idea oh that would be funny I'll have like a dragon fighting a robot or whatever um and again no disrespect to anyone who's got a book called like dragons fighting robots I'm sure it's ace it's a classic Um, yeah it's a classic absolute classic but yeah I just wanted to do things that I, I wanted to do something that was good that I felt you know actually what I would like to do with each of my books is try to do something that just makes things a little bit better than it was before that book existed that that's my that's my aim that's what I want to do well just to confirm you're nailing that your books definitely make things better absolutely oh, thank Love you them. and a bit of a follow-up question then to, to what Steve asked about there Tom which was that you really explore the themes of kind of self-awareness and self-understanding through your characters and lots of good examples of that. Ravi's Raw, Misha Makes Friend, Ruby's Worry, uh, the list goes on. 
And I feel like there's such a positive um, move going on towards this kind of emotional literacy through stories. Where does that come from for you, this, this, this passion for emotional literacy and for helping children to really understand their emotions and be able to describe them in a healthy way? Uh, just that it, it's everything. It's everything to a happy life. If you, if you aren't able to recognise how you're feeling and why you're feeling that way, just your life is, is far more difficult and complicated than it needs to be. And it's something that over the course of my life, I feel that, that I have got better at and it's not something I've always been good at. And I have definitely had to work on my responses to things and how I feel about things and how I express the way that I do feel. And there are all sorts of you know, long, <laughs> complicated reasons for that. But the main point is that I essentially like there's a there is a, there's kind of a part of me in each one of these characters or either if it's not me then it's someone who is very close to me who i can kind of see you know that's not working we need to do something that is going to work and so it's a case of trying to help children get to a sort of uh steady place in a quicker time than it took me yeah, yeah. And what you said there about sort of basing it either on aspects of yourself or people you know, you can really tell that. What I really love is every time I use one of your books in, in class or in an assembly, I can really see and feel the children in the room that it relates to. So there's something very, very genuine about these characters. You know, I think kids re are really quick to see themselves in them. You know, I shared, which one was it? It was Ravi's Roar a while ago with, with Year Sixes, actually. And straight away, you know, one one of the boys in particular could re like really articulate how he related to to the character. And I just think, yeah, you can't fake that. It's really nice to hear that it's come from sort of real people and real experiences. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel that I, what I would hate with with these books would be for it to just feel like I was kind of like, you know, scraping away at the bottom of my barrel and going like, oh, like, what can I do? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just too confident, you know. Um, do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, that could work, but but that's, that's never been a uh, it's never been a challenge of mine that one. And I, I do I do prefer to keep it as close and as you say, sort of honest and authentic as possible. I mean, really. For me, like my whole life is is a kind of uh, exercise in in making connections. I, I, you know, for me, hmm. it's about genuine connection with other people. You know, whatever form that may take, and I think that is a kind of that's a core to a lot of these books. Actually, they all obviously cover specific emotional challenges that someone might face or specific emotions, but there is also, I think, underlying most of them a sort of desire to reach out and connect and and I feel that that's really important in life and I've, I again I feel like that's something that's worth encouraging children to consider because it doesn't necessarily um it's not necessarily something all children all children do want to do or comes naturally to them but there are so many great benefits that come when you do allow yourself to reach out to other people mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had really similar experiences to Russell, actually. I'm thinking about Perfectly Normal and, you know, how reading to a year six child and you get that connection with them from just reading this book to them. It can be so powerful. And now, Tom, before we get on to your couple of more recent books, mm -hmm. it'd be really good if we could actually reflect on your back catalogue. 
could you give us an insight into some of the books you've written that have a special place in your heart and maybe explain why that is so? Yeah, I think, I mean, Perfectly Norman, We obviously we keep mentioning it, but that is the one that I just feel really strongly about because I just, what I feel with Perfectly Norman is that obviously there's been books before that, celebrate be yourself it's uh you know it is a it's a it's a cliche and like all you know all cliches exist for a reason but what i found was that most of these books explored the idea of someone who was already totally set in their idea of like yeah i'm just like me but like these people can't get on board with being me so i'll just like go off somewhere else and you know leave them and then they then they come round to the idea of that other person being who they are and that kind of um, sort of thread I, I noticed in a few books. And it's just that what I wanted to do with Perfectly Normal was communicate just just how horribly difficult it can be for a child who, who comes to this realisation that they maybe don't fit in in the way that they thought they did. And maybe maybe they aren't quite like everyone else and, and how unsettling that is. And the fact that most people... I think, push against the authentic voice within themselves and try to cover it up and mask it and make themselves appear more, inverted commas, normal. But obviously that's never going to lead to, you're never going to have a truly happy, fulfilled life if you can't express yourself openly, honestly and authentically. And and that was the, that was really the angle that I wanted to come at with the book it's that it's that idea that it is a process it is a journey it's not easy it isn't ever going to be easy to go like yeah i i don't feel the same as all of you um for whatever reason but ultimately that is a journey you are going to have to go on if you want to feel you know free within your life and so that i think is why that book especially means so much to me that's such a lovely insight into that book. I feel like I understand that on a much deeper level now. And I couldn't help but think about the metaphors you choose to bring those concepts to life. And in that case, it's these beautiful, colourful wings. And was that metaphor chosen for that idea of freedom that you've just talked about, that idea of being free? Because you could have chosen all sorts of metaphors to express his uniqueness. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's freedom. It's the freedom to just be and how when you do feel content with yourself compared to the restriction that you feel when you're not allowing yourself to you know to act naturally um it it is a huge relief you feel lighter and everything's easier and smoother and you know plus you know like who wouldn't want wings wings it's just cool cool to be able to fly it makes for some awesome double page spreads as well i have to say yeah <laughs> uh, so let's talk about some of the more recent work then you've just released a beautiful picture book the invisible um which I'm, I've, I've really enjoyed this weekend um and i know we really want to talk as well about a, a chapter book that you released last year uh, mm. called attack of the heebie-jeebies which is just such a wonderful title and such a beautiful object to hold and read i have to say i've devoured it this weekend tell us a bit about those books feel free to start in any order it'd be lovely to hear a bit more about them yeah okay so um the the dream team book so that's a series so there's attack of the heebie-jeebies there's a case of the jitters and then there's um i'm just illustrating the third book right now the unfortunate thing about these books is that the first book literally published uh, just as the first lockdown hit and then the second book came 
pretty much at the point that like the second one was beginning. So it has to be said they've not had the best start. And the trouble again is that they are lovely objects. And, you know, obviously this is a podcast, so you can't see the books that are being waved <laughs> around. Um, but, you know, it's got spot color. It's a really lovely package. But again, these, that's, a, that's a very tricky thing for people to pick up when, you know, to see when you just see a picture on, you know, online. So, yeah, they're lovely books. And again, it, it covers kind of emotional understanding, but in a, from, a, from a totally different angle. So whilst the, uh, whilst the Big Bright Feelings books are more focused, the feeling is like the core focus. Mm. The Dream Team books are excitement and action and adventure, but there is a kind of thread of emotional understanding running through it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to like overstate them, but it would be more like a kind of Pixar sort of film. So it's like you get uh, you get you get the the ride, you get the fun, you get the excitement. But there is a core within that, um, and that's a kind of an analogy that um, that, that I've just given myself. But yeah, <laughs> I like Tom it. Percival's <laughs> books as good as Pixar. They'll uh, be so knocking we on the door soon, Tom. I'm, I've got no doubt. But absolutely, you, that's that's so true. Um, one of the mm. one of the things that was different for me when I read this um, on the weekend was that it was the first time that I had full-on silly voices going on in my head. So yeah. your dream team, they've all got quite unique voices in my head. I'm not yeah. acting about, so don't ask me to. Oh. But... <laughs> <Go on. laughs> you, could, you could do one. <laughs> I can't. Well, you know, was <laughs> can't. It... Silas has definitely got a little American twinge for me, oh, um, which, which, you know, maybe it's that kind of movie-style element of the action that I could really see this sort of squeaky American accent. But that was just how it came to life for me and all this yeah. nice deep voice from Wade. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not doing the voices. Really <laughs> what After the recording, you know, we can act out a scene, but I just, I'm not ready to humiliate myself in front of uh, all enough. the teachers of the nation. But absolutely, it did feel like uh, experience in a film and the dynamic between characters, as you say, because your uh, Bright Villains books are mainly around that one character. This time we've got the dynamic of all those characters interacting with each other and there's lots of humour. The dialogue really had me giggling at times. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing, you know, we're all, we, we are all multifaceted beings, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? And and I I love writing the Big Bright Feelings books, and I, I am, you know, I am a, a thoughtful and considerate, you know, earnest person, but I am, you know, I am also, I like fun, I like humour, I like a joke, and I've, I've really enjoyed writing the Dream Team books because, yeah, I could come up with, scenarios and you know it's set in this dream world so the premise is that people have uh, if a child is having a difficult time in their daily life that sort of manifests itself in your dreaming life as a problem and you get these different nightmares you get anger mares and all of these other creatures that are kind of in this dream world and so you know the characters can you know fly on clouds that they pull down out of the sky and all this sort of thing and and it's just a really it's a really fun way to explore what could be quite upsetting situations but because of the setting you can put it in you can cover quite you know quite weighty feelings without it feeling in any way or I don't think without it feeling heavy or like it's a you know too much like a sort of self-help manual it's it's mm. it's a fun book that there are some takeaway um, learnings to be had from that's yeah. my feeling about them definitely it summarized really well and I think as a primary school teacher chapter books that I can hit through lower key stage two and then creeping up into upper key stage two you don't get many of those you get these very big 
deep wadgy novels at the top end and mm. I don't feel like there's enough sort of in the middle and I feel like this mm. this book really does span that middle range really nicely but I would use it right up to some of those older children so it's it's great and you know my daughters are seven and nine and I thought oh this is probably the first book I've picked up that a both of them could sit and read and b both of them would enjoy um, yeah. oh cool so so you've really hit that kind of yeah that age range really nicely oh thank you yeah yeah great stuff so so what about the invisible it'd be lovely to hear hear a bit more about that yeah the invisible is a tricky picture book to to make you know it was it was a difficult book to tonally to to get right because it's a challenging subject it's basically it it explores largely childhood poverty but also, basically, it's, it's called The Invisible because there is a, a young girl called Isabel and she lives in a family that doesn't have enough money and then their situation basically goes downhill from there and she ends up having to move out of the, her family home that she's always lived in and move somewhere new and things are even harder and she basically feels as though she is completely ignored and overlooked by society like she isn't there and when she starts to feel like this that manifests itself until she starts actually physically fading away and she can't see her hands she can't see her feet and she begins to totally disappear um, but when that does happen she essentially sees and i'm kind of like a bit of a spoiler here but she sees other invisible people and you recognize that you know there are there, there's an old lady and she she is overlooked because of her age and there are all of these different ways that society can not always but society can make people feel invisible and like they're not important and they can't contribute and the trouble is that as we all know if, if you don't feel included by society if there's no representation of you or people like you or how you feel then you get disenfranchised and it's the same you know obviously in schools it's the same when kids grow older and you know you've got people who are just who have never felt included or recognized or valued and their yeah you know, the opportunities for, for success for people like that tends to just get lower and lower as time goes on so so that is the that's the kind of that's the theme of the book and that's what I'm exploring in it and the tricky thing is about how to communicate that a the range of experience that people may go through that you know to, to be in a situation like that and also you know it's a picture book so you do need to include or I, I feel you need to include a note of positivity it has to it has to rise to a to a positive conclusion but you know the trouble is that in reality in real life what needs to happen in those situations is like massive financial investment into you know marginalized communities that don't have enough so what i chose to do in the invisible is there's no there's no material resolution isabel's family doesn't suddenly become comfortable and there's no kind of big turnaround in her actual lived experience but what she does do and again this goes back to what i was talking about earlier she she forms connections with other with these other invisible people so all of these people yeah their, their situations haven't changed but they recognize each other and they get that sense of community and belonging from each other and that is what enables them to feel kind of happier 
in their lives and to to feel yeah a sense of belonging and and a sense of visibility and mm. that's what i was trying to do with the book so when when i was a kid i i grew up in a in a caravan it's a again a long complicated story as most stories are so yeah we lived in this caravan my parents had bought a cottage that they were a derelict cottage that the plan was that they were going to renovate and we were going to live in the caravan for a few months but that didn't happen we ended up staying in the caravan for six years and money ran out because the fa- you know the fa- the income coming into the family was really sporadic and then it often just wasn't there at all and so yeah so basically you know me and my family were were poor and didn't have money and you know didn't have holidays and I didn't have a tv and we had gas lamps to read by and you know we we got our water from a from a spring you know just sort of by the caravan our toilet was a you know kind of porta potty in a shack outside of the caravan every night I'd be like oh my god I've got to go out there to go to the toilet uh, and it was freezing in winter absolutely freezing there'd be and you know and that's that's what i've drawn on in the book so at the start when isabel see you know there's ice on the inside of the windows and there's ice you know on the on her you know on her bedpost and these are things that i remember from from that situation but i always had my mum's encouragement and my mum was always very well read and would encourage me and my brother to read and would read to us and you know we'd go there was a mobile library used to pull up down the road and so we'd drop down there and come back with you know armfuls of books feeling all super happy because it was all free yeah and i was always given all of the pens and pencils and you know like paper that i needed because i always loved drawing as a kid so yeah so think things were hard but i had all of that encouragement so so materially we were poor but i had all of this love, all of this encouragement, and I lived in a beautiful place where I could just literally walk out of the door and have safe, free, open space all around me, which is obviously a situation that thousands of children don't have. So although I would say my experiences growing up definitely inspired me to want to address that feeling and that feeling of like, it's not fair, like, why do my you know why can my friends like watch tv and i can't watch tv why can they do this stuff and i can't do this stuff it definitely inspired all that but it's it's not like based on my life experiences because the situation now is horrendous and there are so many children who don't have the those those lights that i had leading the way and that encouragement and that support and that's kind of i suppose yeah that's the these are the kind of conversations that i'm hoping the book might uh might start with people i think it's great and i think it's so healthy to have a book that can trigger those conversations and i was just thinking about we did a podcast some time ago about representation in children's literature and how important it is to try and represent as many different backgrounds and experiences as possible because children need to have the opportunity to see themselves in a character somewhere and i think sometimes the stereotypical characters around poverty don't have that loving family and those positive things going for them as well and I think Isabel's a really important character for that to show that it's not as simple as if you're from a poor background everything else is wrong about your life and I find that sometimes quite an unhelpful stereotype particularly for the children we teach well I did a lot of um 
I mean, actually not for, not for that book, but I had been speaking a lot with a charity called the Joseph Rowntree Foundation because it was trying to pull together a short story collection of, of like middle grade um, stories for, for older children. Unfortunately, didn't, never, never quite got it off the ground. But through all of the conversations I had with the Joseph Rowntree Foundation, there was a lot of talk about, yeah, about framing, uh, framing of narratives and, and these things are, it's really unhelpful to present these ideas that like oh yeah you know like just as you say all of these kind of stereotypes that that get pushed into society via you know like programs like benefit street or whatever these things that are, are not it's not mm. helpful it's not helpful to anyone it doesn't help people you know it doesn't help children in that situation and it's not offering any real insight into anyone outside of that situation and so whilst i appreciate that the invisible the invisible has this kind of like storybook kind of arc to it which some people may feel is not reflective of reality like i said i did ensure that things don't materially turn around for her so it's like oh and now it's all suddenly fine and dad's got a great job and all of that because i did want it to feel real and relatable but i also wanted it to feel positive and uplifting and a message of hope you know, yeah. because situations do change. Like, you know, that was my childhood. That's not my life now. Things, things can change. And also, you, you, you never know how things are going to go. You never, also, you never know how things are going to go in either direction. That, that's kind of part of why I wrote it, because my experience of childhood is very different to, yeah, you know, some, someone else who, who might have gone through financial hardship. There's no, there's no one route to that exactly. situation yeah Definitely. and actually um when i was reading it last night uh, my partner came up and i said you've got to read this uh so enjoyable she read it and then our 12 year old read it and uh, as i'm reading it, i'm just thinking how real genuine and hopeful filled it, it is as a as a book and it really resonated with us and i was thinking i just got to get this into school because actually sharing this book amongst our community at the moment could be such a powerful tool and it's definitely what I'm going to be exploring after half term because it's not a fairy tale and they don't end up so prosperous and but it's, it's what they're rich in by the end of it and it's that like community coming together because there's a real interconnectedness feel to them yeah um, yeah it just felt extremely powerful to me oh thank you and what no, we haven't pleasure. even touched on there is just how blooming beautiful it is as a piece oh, of artwork yeah. i mean i won't spoil it for anyone where well, i can't because this is a podcast and you can't <sighs> see it anyway but that final page um mm. I, I love picture books where you can just you read the words and then you just pour over the image for just minutes on end and me and my youngest who's particularly passionate about artwork she just sat there just enjoying every yeah. last moment of that <laughs> double page yeah. spread at the end with all the characters and just yeah really admiring the detail of it so uh it's it's oh, a very you. beautiful thing as well yeah. and i felt like i sort of needed to make a bigger point about that with the the attack of the heebie-jeebies so i'll make it now which is that you don't get many chapter books where it's packed full of really beautiful artwork as well along the way and i love the whole purple white black theme that runs through it it's, a, it's an incredibly well styled book so i just yeah wanted to say that Unfortunately, on the third book, it's just going to be pure monochrome, which I am quite <laughs> sad about. We'll forgive you. Yeah, it's, not, it's not. I don't want it that way, but you know. Oh, really? Production, production department. What can you do? Can't argue. Can't <laughs> I'll argue have a word with them. I'll have a word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Moving on, Tom. Just before you go, last kind of question for you. Um, I'd like to really ask you: Is there a, a favourite children's book you had growing up, or is there an author who inspired you to 
to go down this path but it's always an interesting uh, question to pose yeah yeah i mean there's a couple i mean I, I have answered this question a number of times and I, and I always feel like, should I just start inventing a new book that I loved? But I just, <laughs> I don't feel like I can do that. So yeah, anyone who has probably read any interview where I've talked about this sort of thing will be like, oh, stop talking about these books. <laughs> but um, when I was a kid, there was this reading scheme called Tim and the Hidden People. So it was in the like, uh, so those books were reading scheme from like late 70s, early 80s. Um, so that, yeah, that's when I was in primary school. And it was just amazing. They were so like vivid and exciting. And I felt like they reflect, again, it's that reflection. It reflected the world that I lived in. So Tim was basically quite isolated and quite lonely and his family didn't have very much money at all. And he would go off on his own a lot on these walks. And then he kind of basically discovered, and this is like to learn to read with, he discovers this like these, this cast of characters who all seem quite, quite sinister to be fair there's this one he makes friends with this cat this talking cat called tobias who can make a make a broomstick fly around and he has these amazing adventures and the artwork's just so evocative and it just really pulled me in but tobias was also just a really kind of just really thoughtless character he wasn't like a good friend who would look out for tim he'd like fly tim off somewhere like miles away and then get you know distracted by something and run off and then tim would have to walk home like part you know by the canal for like eight miles you know, <laughs> through the night on his own and and i just thought it was so exciting because prior to that I, it had just been like peter and jane and then suddenly it was like oh my God, there's this world where like amazing things happen. So I was like hooked on reading literally from the start. Um, and those books were hugely important to me. My first pitch book was called Tobias and the Super Spooky Ghost Book because, you know, as a kind of homage to that character. And the publishers were saying, oh, no, we don't want to call it Tobias because people think it's all like, you know, like, oh, no, it doesn't have the right feel. And it's like, no, it's going to be Tobias. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, so so those books were hugely important to me. And then um, beyond that, um, Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising was another another kind of really evocative book that just like, that I, I just lived in, you know. And like I said, I lived, the place where I lived was beautiful. And I, I, I it was the classic thing where I could just like, you know, walk out of the door in the morning. And as long as I was back kind of by dark, I'd take some like, you know, take some stuff with me for lunch and like, I would have adventures on my own and I would always kind of merge reality with fantasy and walking through walking through woods and there'd be like a tree stump and I'd be like oh it's like one of those stumps from Tim and the Hidden People which can come alive and you know I, I was just constantly in this kind of like half reality half fantasy world and in fact still am so <laughs> there we I are. was getting a bit of a magic faraway tree vibe then just imagining you oh. oh yeah no but it was all like it was all like I mean actually the magic faraway tree is a, a bit sort of dark but this is kind of like it's more like a kind of pan's labyrinth right nice a bit more feel. sinister <laughs> yeah yeah definitely quite sinister <laughs> Uh, so, Tom, we can't say enough what a joy it has been to talk about books with you tonight. And we just absolutely admire your work and have really enjoyed your company. So thank you so much. Your work really does make a difference to the children we share your books with. And I'm sure to lots of us adults, too. So thank you so much for talking to us. Not at all. Thank you for thank having you, me. Thank you, Tom. It's a privilege to have you on tonight. It really is. Don't keep the deputy.